Hey guys, welcome back to It's a Theater Thing. This is a podcast made for and by theater fans. And I'm Tracy Danoff, and I'm joined once again today by my friend and fellow theater fan, Aaron Carl. Hey, Aaron. Well, hello there. Hey. So I think we're going to dub this episode the, I don't know, jet lag, lack of sleep hell episode because <laughs> flu the, shot recovery yes yeah. <laughs> yes flu shot recovery slash jet lag recovery episode because even though i've been home for a week i'm still tired and i also had my flu shot and poor erin has been struggling because she had her flu shot and hasn't been feeling quite herself so <laughs> i'm doing good for society but it hurts i know i know we're gonna get oh. through this though we're gonna get through we will, this together we will survive oh. that's right that's right so today's episode is gonna be uh interesting one we're gonna talk about a lot of different things we're gonna touch a bit on my trip to madrid and the theater scene there we're also going to have have my friend and also my travel partner, Ronnie Krasno, join us a little later. And we're going to talk about Anastasia in Spain and how that was different than the Broadway version. Uh, and Espanol. Yes, yes. Oh, oh. And, and me, Espanol. It's no good. Oh. <laughs> I'll tell you about that, but no good. Um, <laughs> no bueno. Um, <laughs> ooh, ooh, tea, tea. We have tea already. <laughs> We're also going to talk about the latest controversy on Broadway regarding the lightning thief and uh, how the critics handled it. And Aaron, that's something mm-hmm. that you're going to discuss. And then I'm going to talk to Stephanie Lexi, who is a performer and writer and the founder of the Broadway Body Positivity Project. And I can't wait to talk to her about that. And finally, we're going to end with our Beyond the Board picks. But first, let's talk about Madrid. Yes. Yes. So first of all, I have to tell you, it's not a place that I ever thought about going. I am so happy I went. It's an amazing city. Basically, the way I've been describing it to people is it's a lot like New York, except everyone's speaking Spanish. (laughs) Um, It definitely has a New York vibe. The people are freaking amazing there. I mean, I've never met people that were so kind and so helpful and as long as you know a little bit of Spanish, you can get by. Most people do speak a little English, at least. And they do have an interesting theater scene there. Is it as big as New York? No, no. But they did have a lot of shows going on while we were there. Um, as I mentioned earlier in the show, I'm going to have Ronnie Krasno on, and we're going to talk about our visits to Anastasia. But... We saw lots of shows, you know, playing within the little area, I I guess, that they would consider their theater district. Um, Shows that I wouldn't necessarily expect to see. Now, there were some that definitely you would expect to see, like The Lion King. They even had Lacage. But then they had Ghost, (laughs) which was surprising to me. And We Will Rock You. But then it was also cool to see the poster for the play that goes wrong, which was all in Spanish. <laughs> so it was very cool. That sounds like a, a kind of 
a very diverse group of shows. It so that's yeah. that's really interesting to see that, you know, yeah, their, their theater district kind of looks like, you know, New York's theater district. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, there's no big Times Square type area, but you do. there is sort of like a, a main drag. Um, but some of the theaters are kind of spread apart, which sort of reminded me of the West End. So the interesting thing about Spain is, well, for one thing, walking into the theater itself, you know, you walk into a theater in the United States, you're not going to see a lot of food. (laughs) And, you know, you do see, you know, people selling candy on occasion. And, of course, people get their drinks. We walked into... A whole stand where they were selling big buckets of popcorn. Now, granted, the the buckets were really cool. They were Anastasia themed buckets, and they were collectibles. But you don't really see people getting big buckets of popcorn. I mean, like those movie size big buckets, and people were buying them and candy. Which, if you go to Madrid, you're going to find candy's a big thing there anyway, especially chocolate. But they had a whole counter full of candy. And if you wanted the souvenir cup, you had to fill it with candy. So that was interesting. One other that thing. Really, yeah, candy yeah. at a theater. I mean, that, that is interesting. Yeah. Like, popcorn is really getting me, too. Yeah. Like, cinema I could see, but, like, an actual live theater, I think that would be too much of a risk. Yeah, it was really interesting. But people were pretty respectful. And, you know, like I didn't notice anybody leaving any mess around inside the house. Now, you know, out in the lobby, there were a few empty popcorn containers sitting around. But inside the house, people seemed to be very respectful and neat. Um, and the candy, I mean, it's not that big of a deal to have candy at the theater anymore, but it was just interesting to see how it was presented there. The other thing was, and I, I experienced this in London too, is automatically people are not going to get on their feet at the end of a show. Um, you know, pretty much every show I go to in New York gets a standing ovation and, we went to the show actually three times. We'll explain why a little later. But the first night we went, I don't think anyone stood. The second night we went, not everyone stood, but a big majority of the audience did. And then the third night, it was total like standing ovation. So it was just really interesting. I kind of feel like it depends on the mood of the audience and whether they feel like a standing ovation is deserved. And like I said, I experienced that in England, too, where not every show I went to got a standing ovation. So it's really interesting to see the differences and also the similarities, you know. So, I mean... It still got the same feel as a Broadway house. I mean, you know, it was a lovely space. And um, the show was wonderful. So the show was all in Spanish. But because I've seen Anastasia and I know a little bit of Spanish, and of course I know the score, it was very easy to follow. So if you make a trip to a foreign country... I highly recommend checking out the theater. If Ronnie needs a travel buddy, I will volunteer. (laughs) You volunteer as tribute? (laughs) I volunteer as tribute. That would be, that would be amazing. 
will you 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 can uh, slightly mention that when you uh, uh, when you, when you interview her. I, I will. <laughs> I will. Speaking of Ronnie, she is the biggest Aaron's and Flaherty fan that I know and a huge lover of Anastasia the musical. She is the administrator and creator of the Aaron's and Flaherty Facebook page and she's going to be joining us to talk about our adventure in Madrid. So we'll be back with Ronnie Krasno. <laughs> Welcome back, guys. I am here with my good friend and traveling partner, Ronnie Krasno. And honestly, I just consider Ronnie like my authority for errands and clarity. <laughs> and, and if you don't know Ronnie, then you don't know that she has been an advocate for their work for many, many years and is a big admirer of their shows. And the main reason we went to Madrid was to see Anastasia. So welcome, Ronnie. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being on. And I'm excited to talk to you about Anastasia. So I have to ask you, you know, how was your total experience? How did you feel about it? It was great. I I loved it because it was um, everything that I thought it would be. And it was really great to see that the production quality was like exactly the same as Broadway. You know, the costumes and the um, set and the projections, all of that was very, very like identical almost to Broadway. And then the other interesting thing for me was that I do know the show literally by heart, but I also I also have uh, speak a little bit of Spanish or enough Spanish to understand, you know, what they were saying in Spanish because I knew the English line, but I could, but I knew which words were which words in Spanish. So that was really kind of cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know that I would have understood it totally if I didn't know it by heart in English, but. <laughs> But it was really cool to sort of see that the script was 99% the same. So that was really great, except that they don't make the joke about Lent. <laughs> that, <laughs> that is in the Broadway and the touring version, because I guess Spain is a very religious country, so they they don't joke about that, I yeah. guess. Um, and that was sort of the major textual difference in terms of the script mm-hmm. but the big difference is in in the lyrics which are very different because they have to be otherwise they won't rhyme you know the right. same words don't rhyme yeah. so that was a little weird but um but interesting you know yeah. well i think our experiences were a little different in that i mean we both loved the show and we saw it several times and I feel like the more we saw it, the more I was getting it because my Spanish isn't quite as good as yours. Actually, it's pretty terrible. Um, <laughs> you saved my life on a number of occasions during that trip. Um, but and the first night, because I know the show, of course, I was able to follow it. But I felt a bit more connected to it by the last time we saw it because I was really starting to pick up on some of the lines. And, and of course, knowing the show, it, it was all coming back to me. So I think for you, 
I'm guessing it was probably a richer experience because you were understanding the dialogue. Where, yes, yeah. I, yes, I, that was very cool, which, which was very different from, um, I also went to Germany to see Rocky, and I don't speak any German at all. So for, in that case, I knew I had heard the songs. I knew what the songs were saying, and I knew, of course, the movie of Rocky, so I knew the story, but I had zero idea exactly what they were saying. So, um, yeah, so that was a little different. This was kind of cool because I knew, I knew exactly what they were saying. It was really neat Yeah. for me, yeah. Yeah, I, it, it, and I could see, I could see how you were just getting so much out of it. What did you think of the performances themselves? I thought I thought they were great. I mean, I, everybody everybody I thought was was excellent. Um, the Gleb was really great. The um, Dowager was was amazing, and of course ha- um, Hannah, who plays Anya, was really really good. Yeah, yeah, she she was great. Even if maybe she really doesn't eat at Taco Bell, and only a few people will understand <laughs> what I'm talking about when I say that. But if you if you want to know, email us at <laughs> at yeah. theaterthing at gmail dot com. I'll explain the whole thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she was she was really good. But you know, I kind of felt like she was a more mature. Anastasia than Christy was. I mean, Christy had a more youthful vibe, I guess. Yes, I I agree with that. And I think Hannah also um, looks older in the makeup, in the wig and the, you know, um, but but I still felt like, you know, she she had sort of like an air of mis like more of an air of mystery, whereas Christy is just she's so bubbly and yeah like very like very like free (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. I could definitely I I see what you mean so was there anything about this production that you would change or that you felt like you missed from the Broadway production well the changes that are in this production are also um, in the touring production so the song crossing a bridge um, is not there and so I always miss that even though it's also not in the tour so mm-hmm. but for me because I, I love that song um, it's kind of a big hole but I understand why it's not there mm-hmm. <laughs> but but I but I miss it whenever I've seen like when I saw the tour and then here um, I really I just love the song so I'm really glad it's on the CD and that we have it preserved because but it's weird to me that people who are just seeing the tour i mean i guess maybe they have the cd so they know that they know that the song has been cut but to see the show sort of without that song at all is is different for me because i saw it so many times on broadway so well you know it was interesting i was talking to aaron about the vibe of the audience and you know it was it's different it's definitely it was different. very different it was yeah. very different I felt like I, I just think it's a it's a different sensibility like I a lot of the Vlad jokes didn't really or at least there wasn't as much laughter as there is in the United States I mean maybe they're just more reserved and also mm-hmm. what really the other thing that really stood out to me is like every time I saw the show on Broadway that moment where Dimitri steps on the dowager's coat 
and uh, you know she can't move. Every American audience, every Broadway audience goes, <gasps> you know, <Yeah. laughs> and um, and that didn't happen in Spain. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, I think they sort of maybe don't express their emotions as freely. Yeah, I agree because one thing that um, that I discussed with Aaron in our last segment was that it wasn't, you know, there wasn't automatically a standing ovation. And I experienced that in England, too, where I think Europeans are a little bit more reserved, where it, on Broadway, I mean, it feels like every show right. I go to <laughs> gets yes, a standing yes. ovation. Um, um, we, we, we seem to stand for everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whether um, it deserves it or not. <laughs> but I, Yeah, exactly. But yeah. I do think that the audience appreciated the show, um, mm-hmm. because by the end, and I think a lot of people were standing, at least that I saw. So yeah, well, and I and I noticed, and I kind of wonder if it depended on the night you went to, because like the first night we went, I guess it was a Sunday night, and yeah. and it was a lot more reserved. But as the week went on, because we went to two other performances, right. I noticed more people were standing. And the, by the last performance, everybody was standing. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know like what their traditionally slow nights are, you mm-hmm. know, versus ours. Um, but yeah, it definitely seemed to pick up as the week yeah. went on. Yeah. And I think the fandom is a little different, but I, I definitely could see there were some ardent fans in the audience. I, I saw a couple tiaras <laughs> in the audience, you know, on people's heads in the audience. Um, and, and definitely people were buying the merch. I mean, which I have, yeah. I have to say, I mean, I think this merchandise was a little better. Oh my God, the merchandise over Europe is amazing. I have, (laughs) I have, I have this goal that I have to have at least one thing from all of the foreign productions. And so actually Lynn and Steven have brought me back some stuff from the Dutch production. But there's somebody in our Facebook group that lives there and, you know, and is like taking orders and they have a pillow. Uh, you know, that? yeah. So I, I'm yeah. thinking about getting the pillow because they didn't have that in Madrid. No, that's very <laughs> so, cool. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, we didn't we didn't actually mention the Facebook group. Do you want to give it a plug? Um, it's just called Anastasia the Musical Fans, and we have currently we have like over three thousand three thousand members, and from many almost every country i mean like every continent for sure and like so many different countries it's i i sort of didn't really know how popular the movie was until i saw how many different countries are represented in our group because as we've talked about like for me the movie was always about the music because lynn and steve had written it but these a lot of the Fantastasias, you know, they know the movie by like by heart. It was their princess movie when they were growing up, which wasn't the case for me because I'm old. <laughs> but um, it, it, yeah, I didn't realize the universal reach of the movie until I saw how many different countries are represented in our group. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. And it says a lot for Lynn and Steve's music, you know. Yeah. So are you planning on any future Anastasia trips? Um, I hope so. I, you know, I'm not, I, I'm not going to Asia. So that's <laughs> out. The next place is Japan. So I'm, I'm not doing that. 
but I'm really, really hoping for Paris because I've never been and I'd love to go. And I love, I sort of, I just love having the, the sort of excuse or the, you know, the, the reason to go. Um, right. I sort of have gone, I've been to every one of their first previews of every show from, for the, since ragtime. So, um, yeah, so I've traveled all over like a crazy person, but, um, but it's, but it's been great and it gives me a reason to go places I would never otherwise go. So that's really cool. Um, yeah, so I'm hoping for Paris and then, or maybe someplace in South America. I haven't been to South America. I don't know if it's coming to South America, but it would be, it would be cool. Um, yeah. Well, well, Erin wanted me to let you know that she volunteers as tribute if you need a, another traveling. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I have a list. Of I know you I do. Have a list of people. So yeah, it's um, you know, it's, it's been hard for me that I'm I'm not able to do it by myself anymore. But um, but it's fun to go with someone because then you yeah. create memories. So as we did, we had a really yeah, good time. We did. We did. And I just, you know, want to say on air, because I, I was very fortunate that Ronnie invited me to tag along on this trip. And I enjoyed it so much because I would have never, I, I really never thought about going to Madrid. And just the city itself was so awesome. Yeah, so, it really, it's really cool. I would definitely yeah. go back there. I mean, I, of course, had yeah. always wanted to go to Spain because I had taken so much Spanish um, in mm-hmm. school. So this was like the best excuse ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome. Well, I look forward to hearing about any future travels. And if you do have any future adventures, you have to come back and share them with absolutely, us. Absolutely. Awesome. I, um, I hope that uh, I'll see Anastasia in yet another language. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to hear about that one, too. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, well, Ronnie, thanks so much. We're going to be right back with Erin, and she's going to talk about the controversy around the lightning thief. Welcome back, and thanks again to Ronnie Krasno for joining us and discussing Anastasia in Madrid. So now, Aaron, I'm going to hand it off to you. What is all this business with the lightning thief? Okay, we're, we're returning to, you know, we can just call this Squib 2.0. Be more chill, revived, um, because a lot of the same critics and a lot of the same fans are having the same issue. And so this kind of got me thinking, are critics being too critical? Are they really understanding what the show is for and what the show is supposed to be about? So I, I picked two particular quotes that I thought were kind of median line. They had a little snark. They had a little, you know, kind of like a proof that maybe the writer didn't quite get it. Mm -hmm. But um, they weren't like crazy, um, you know, horrible about the show. You can check. I know Playbill.com rounds up all of the reviews for the shows. Otherwise, you can, you know, Google uh, to to check out the full reviews and everything. But a couple little snippets that I took out. One is from Time Out, and that is from Helen Shaw. This sweet and small production seems out of place. Mm. 
And the, the use of the word sweet and small, it just are so condescending to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and again, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but basically in the whole paragraph above that, she just talks about how this is a JV show uh, for tweens. Interesting. So is it, is it written in a way where, like, because it's for tweens, it doesn't deserve to be on Broadway? Or uh, is it just sort yeah. of a straightforward thing, like this is the audience? Well, we can go to my, to, uh, my second quote the, uh, from the Chicago Tribune. That's Chris Jones, uh, critic. Percy is a rock star among the portion of the tween set that can still actually put down their phone and read. The show needs a major visual overhaul for the main stem. Middle schoolers being as deserving of midtown sophistication as anyone else. Hmm. So again, just the, the condescending and the, the tone of elitism, like this is Broadway. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I have my martini in my hand and I'm, you know, smoking my little cigarette with the little filter stick and everything like too, too much, like cartoonish almost. Mm-hmm. And uh, if it was actually constructive, like a visual overhaul. So the whole show or was it the costuming? Mm-hmm. Was it the lighting? Was it the effects? Cause there are some effects Right. You know, with the, cause it is, if you don't know the basic story of Percy Jackson, it's, uh, the, the gods of Olympus basically parent half-blood children, uh, with mortals. And now they are in danger. And so Percy, who is the son of Poseidon, has to, you know, basically go on adventures. And it's a whole book series. Yes, aimed for teens, aimed for tweens. And the writers of the play and the musical just turned it into a production, turned it into a stage show. Mm. So there's a lot of, you know, like uh, Greek gods and, and lightning effects and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm just kind of torn on, you know, how, how to be critical without just being rude. Right. Um, go, going back to Helen Shaw of Time Out, she closes her review with, The real stars of the show, though, are a pair of leaf blowers that made their leap uh, to the Broadway with total pep and grace. Huh. So, <laughs> okay. So, so now I'm intrigued. Admittedly, yeah. I've never seen the show, but I are the, are the critics just shocked that a show's using kind of going more low-tech? I mean, I it know. could be. I know that there was some discussion, like, do we need younger critics to relate? Mm-hmm. To, like, you know, like, Be More Chill got pretty slammed. And, you know, is that a situation where maybe we need somebody who understands that? But, you know, I had someone say to me not that long ago, he said, you know, good theater is good theater. And it should appeal to everybody because, you know, my argument with Be More Chill is, well, that was not written for me. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a middle-aged woman who, you know, is beyond that, that demographic. And his feeling was it shouldn't matter. So do you and think it's an age thing or do you think that it's a 
quality thing because neither one of us has seen the show. So, I mean, we can't really comment on whether or not, you know, these reviews are, are deserved, but I do know there was a lot of backlash about these re- reviews. Right. Yeah. And, and I agree. Yes. If it's a, if it's a truly good show, anybody of any age or background should be able to sit down and have a good night. Mm-hmm. And, and that, kind of going into the point, not, you know, not every critic is going to love every show. Like, right. yes, you can not like a show for many different reasons. Mm-hmm. So critical without being constructive is where I think we're, we need to draw the line. Mm-hmm. And maybe it is, yeah, getting a more diverse group of critics, maybe, you know, different publications can send two or three critics Mm-hmm. to you know and kind of they can bounce ideas off of each other Sad, and, and yeah sadly though it doesn't seem like uh, a lot of publications these days are supporting the critics <laughs> you know you hear a lot not, yeah. yeah you hear a lot about critics being moved or being or th- like their positions being eliminated because they want to put their money someplace else and then we fall into the trap of sometimes they're using these critiques as just flat out promotions. Yeah. yeah. You know, so if it's if you're not going to give me a good critique, then you need to go because I need that theater to give me the free tickets to, so that the, and then buy advertisement for the shows coming in. Yeah. Now, one last question for you. Mm-hmm. How much of this do you think is valid and how much of it do you think is sour grapes? Because, you know, people get very passionate about their shows and could it be, you know, that maybe that's just because they're feeling like it's unfair or they're, you know, very. This is true. I, I do agree that there can be some sour grapes because again, going on the line of not every show is going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. There's going to be things wrong with every show. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely do think that, you know, uh, there are passionate, passionate fans, just like mm-hmm. the the squibs of Be More Chill. The, you know, the, the fans of The Lightning Thief are equally as passionate about this production. Mm-hmm. Uh, but reading the reviews, I I saw where they were coming from. I saw the, okay. the the condescending tone. I saw the, you know, just the flat out negativity for negativity's sake. Mm-hmm. So I, I I definitely am kind of leaning more towards there's me there's more of an issue than just sour grapes. Okay. I agree, sour grapes, yes, but mm-hmm. more more on the line of we need to look at what the critics are doing here. Right. Well, speaking as someone who's come from both sides of it, because I used to cover theater for uh, Talking Broadway before I was married, and then later on for um, Broadway World, mm-hmm. uh, which was a brief stint. But I remember my first piece of hate mail. <laughs> and it was because I had given the Rent Tour a bad review. Now, you got to know, I am a rent head from way back. I love Rent. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, the show itself, I find very little to complain about. But this particular production just had problems. And it was the first tour. I, I do think, you know, maybe they were just feeling their way. And I got this 
piece of hate mail that I actually still have framed in my office. Um, <laughs> yes. And, and basically, you know, he told me that he didn't, I didn't get the show. I didn't know what I was talking about, you know, and, and I understood, I understood mm-hmm. that, you know, he's very, was very passionate about this show and was going to defend it to any length. My feeling is you can love a show, but not love the way it's being presented. And mm-hmm. that was the case there. And I'm just wondering, you know, is this the case? Not so much that these critics love a sh- love this show. I don't know what their experience is with this show, but maybe there were some real legitimate issues that they felt the need to explore. Now, as you said, if there is some snarkiness to it, you know, some people write that way because it's going to get them attention. (laughs) It's going to get them the clicks that get them, you know, the ad sales, which is going to get them the money. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I always went in rooting for a show, wanting to like it. Whether mm-hmm. I did or not was a different story, <laughs> but, yeah. but, but I, you know, my feeling is I want theater to live, so I'm not in the business of tearing it down. Thank so. you. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I, I critique for, um, on stage blog. Hello. Mm-hmm. And, um, hi, Chris, how are you? <laughs> but yeah, and, um, I generally only get tours and tours are very, interesting because it's you know especially if i've seen the production on broadway or seen like a big sit down of it and then to see like the little tweaks and stuff and maybe they're having some tech issues maybe it just doesn't feel right in this big house waitress felt entirely different from the brick atkinson's of you know barely a thousand seats to the fox theater in st louis is four thousand five hundred Right. So a very intimate, passionate scene, you know, kind of lost a little energy. Yeah. So and and as a critic, you do have to point that out. Mm-hmm. And luckily, Christina Dwyer was amazing and fixed it, you know, very, very easily filled mm-hmm. the house with with her energy and everything. But yeah, that that kind of stuff has to be taken in consideration. Mm-hmm. And with The Lightning Thief, it just left a tour which was very, very um, popular from the critiques that I saw. And of course, the, you know, the little blurbs that they were using to promote the show. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe that's, I think maybe that could be the issue instead of, you know, vice versa, a tour where they had everything set up and it was amazing. And now they have to fill this, you know, very luxurious um, house with the history, you know, they have to kind of live up to that legacy. Right. And the critics and the reviewers are holding them to that and maybe maybe being a little elitist with it. Mm-hmm. And so that that's where I think we're sitting with uh, this particular with the lightning thief. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your thoughts about that. I'll be interested to see what happens with this show and yeah. what kind of audience it brings in. It's a limited run. So I think that's another reason why the uh, why the fans are a little up in arms with the with the reviews is because if it could extend or if it could move or if it could go on tour or something else you know right. they they want they want 
only positivity around it. Right. Yeah, because definitely it's going to affect its touring opportunities if it gets bad reviews. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure the producers weren't real thrilled. (laughs) Agreed. Yes. Well, Aaron, thanks so much. It was a very interesting conversation, and I look forward to seeing what happens. So next we're going to go to Stephanie Lexus, and she's going to talk to us about her Broadway Body Positivity Project. So we'll be right back. And we're back. Guys, I am here with Stephanie Lexus. She is a performer and writer and also the founder of the Broadway Body Positivity Project. And we're really excited to have her on today. So, Stephanie, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your project? Yeah, sure. Um, Well, I'm a performer, first and foremost. I've been one since I was a child, specifically in um, the art of musical theater. And my project came out of a frustration that I've had with typecasting in musical theater. Um, I've been doing musical theater my whole life. And when I was younger, I thought I was set to play all the romantic leads and princesses, ingenues and damsels in distress in musical theater because I had a soprano voice. And most of those roles, at least traditionally, are written for my voice type. So I just thought there, you know, that was going to be my career um, in, in musical theater. However, I started struggling with my weight throughout my life. You know, I, I developed an eating disorder at a young age. I have always been like an emotional eater. And I've also struggled with like hypothyroidism and PCOS and all these things made my size bigger. And I noticed that as I was growing bigger in, in size, that I was suddenly um, not being considered for those types of roles anymore. Mm-hmm. And instead I was being told that my, that my career was realistically going to be, be portraying old ladies, evil villains, you know, broads, unlikable, unattractive characters. And that didn't sit well with me for a few reasons. One, I was, those roles are not really written for my voice type. So in order to play those roles, I'd either have to spend a significant amount of time learning to sing that way or jump right in and potentially damage my voice mm-hmm. because it's out, it's out of my, the abilities I've, as far as I know. Mm-hmm. And then the other reason why it didn't sit well with me was that this typecasting was insinuating that being slender equals attractive, beautiful, and likable, and that being overweight represents being ugly you know, unattractive, lazy. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that sets a good example for young viewers that can go to the theater. I think, you know, we learn from the art that we see and from a young age. And I don't think that that's setting a good example for anyone, really. And mm-hmm. so when I went to college, I went to this really small school in the Midwest. But for some reason, I, I was I got I really had this amazing theater environment where there are people who are completely different than me and I learned so much from their experiences and realized that some of their experiences were similar to my own but in different ways for example I became close to two actors who are visually impaired and then I became close to an actress there that's a little person and I realized that they were being typecast in harmful ways or they just weren't being included at all Mm. because their differences Mm -hmm. and I believe that, you know, in the day of, you know, call out culture 
and in the, in the age of social media, that we have the power to raise our voices when we in term, um, about these issues. So I decided to just, on a whim, create an organization or just a, really just a Facebook page at the time called the Broadway Body Positivity Project. And I wanted it to be like a platform for actors with marginalized bodies to to talk about typecasting woes and issues and also encourage fair typecasting for mm-hmm. all of us. So the idea is that the little person can play the hero, the plus size woman can play the pr- princess, the, you know, the disabled actor can play the sexy character or something like right. that, you know? Yeah. And then as I developed the project, I wanted to just gauge what body shaming was like for other actors and so i did this little project in which i asked actors to anonymously share body shaming stories from whenever they were practicing the art of theater or when they were rehearsing or when they were in they were in a production for theater Mm -hmm. and i got stories from people of all sorts of body types slender overweight disabled non-disabled really tall really short everything and and i realized that in theater, everyone has been body shamed in yes. some way. Yes. I'm sure that even the most fa- people with the most favorable bodies have been body shamed in theater because mm-hmm. it seems like no, no one's ever enough in that regard. But I realized that I had to expand the, the mission for my organization. And so when I was hearing that some people were body shamed to the point of developing eating disorders and body dysmorphia, I realized I had to create a space where they can talk about these issues, but also get resources for these issues. And so for an example for that would be, um, I had an interview with a dietitian who subscribes to the idea of health at every size. Mm. And, and in our interview, she debunked a lot of myths about health in relation to size. And she talked about eating disorder recovery. She talked about how diet culture is toxic Mm-hmm. And she get, and she we did like a Q and A so that way people who want to eat healthy in a, in a way that's not associated with dieting mm-hmm. and weight loss can achieve it. And she she did that for us and it's great. And so I'm hoping to do more interviews like that where I'm actually hoping to interview like a a social worker too to help actors who have been psychologically affected from these events. Mm-hmm. And did but, you, did you find that a lot of actors? And I mean, I probably already know the answer to this, but do you find that a lot of actors go through eating disorder issues? It's a shame that it is that way, but it seems that a lot of a lot of actors either had it beforehand, or they and it was exacerbated by the body shaming industry, Mm -hmm. or they developed it from being in the industry. I mean, it, it sadly it kind of makes sense because image does play a big role in theater. Um, you know, they're like, when you look at the Rockettes, they want uniformity. And so they wouldn't want some, you know, it actually took a long time for the Rockettes to include a woman of color Mm -hmm. because they want, because they wanted a certain aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is that there are certain aesthetics in theater, like in a chorus line, you know, you're going to want like long legs and, (laughs) you know, and long necks and stuff like that, you know, because it's a dance show and there's an aesthetic for dancing. Um, and then I think it's it's also just when you're in an industry where people can just cut you within a second, mm-hmm. and you, they you know you do feel a pressure to look as 
favorable according to society standards as possible. Now, do you find it society or do you find it it's casting agents making these decisions? Because sometimes I think society, even though we can all be rough on each other, can also be a bit more forgiving than, let's say, your average casting agent. You know, I, I think casting agents here, here's the thing so this is my this is my this is my thoughts is that so you, you have i would say we have three major mediums of entertainment we have film we have television and we have theater as much you know as much as i love theater it does let's, let's be real it doesn't do as well financially speaking as film and television you know when you look at the ratings for the you know the oscars and the emmys and the tonys the tonys typically get the least amount of views they struggle right every year and I don't think it's their, I don't think it's Tony Committee's fault. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it's that our society does, isn't, I don't want to say we're not as cultured as like other countries, but like, I don't think our culture appreciates theater as much as maybe like European countries do, mm-hmm. you know? And so I feel, I feel like, so I, I think theater companies feel the need to be as commercialized as possible in order to keep the industry afloat. Right. And with that means, you know, adhering to the standards of mainstream society. So. So that means having like the Disney shows and also means having bodies that are aesthetic like in Hollywood. So and I, so I think there's a pressure on the casting directors to do what's safe. Mm-hmm. And and sadly, what are things that are safe is like, again, sex cells, Hollywood aesthetic bodies, you know, making musicals based off of movies, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, so. definitely. Has your organization ever thought about reaching out to casting agents or 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 the powers that be to maybe provide some education <laughs> yeah that's that's the plan there's this one talent agent who follows my account i'm actually going to meet up with him and we're going to talk about body positivity representation mm-hmm. in the theater and i'm supposed to be talking to a few other people mm-hmm. and it might be an uphill battle trying to get 30 certain people i really want to get through to like broadway producers you know people who like actually you know put their own their own dime into these productions because i think i would think that the producer ultimately has the biggest voice if if they're the one if they're telling the casting directors you know cast diversely they gotta listen yeah you know and diversity is such a big issue right now yeah just which is why I thought it was the perfect time to start the organization. Mm-hmm. I was really inspired by actors of color mm-hmm. in our community who have been advocating for racial diversity on the stage. There's this one organization I like called the Broadway Diversity Project, mm-hmm. and they, you know, they're they're advocating for, you know, fair representation on the stage. And you know, around the same time, I was getting inspired by like hashtag Oscar so white, hashtag Tony so white, mm-hmm. and realizing that and i was pleased to see that our industry is slowly listening and mm-hmm. slowly progressing and so i thought why not bring up another aspect of diversity that that's, that also could intersect with racial diversity to the forefront so okay. so right now you're preparing for a project yeah yeah and can you <laughs> tell us a little bit about that i am producing organizing this photo slash music video shoot in which seven plus size musical theater actresses from New York, Chicago, and Minneapolis will like dress up and sing as leading ladies, ingenues, 
princesses from iconic musicals. And I actually came up with this idea before I created the Broadway Body Positivity Project. One of the reasons why I created the Broadway Body Positivity Project was for that photo shoot to have like a platform to stand on. Mm-hmm. But I'm so glad it became so much more than that. But the idea is that I, I feel that the theater industry is in need of exposure therapy. And for those who aren't familiar with exposure therapy, in psychology, exposure therapy is when I think when you take something that someone is afraid of and you you slowly reintroduce them to the thing that scares them or like desensitize you to it, something like that. So the, the way I see it is the theater, the theater industry is scared to cast truly body positive fashion because there are risks. Mm-hmm. How is society going to react to it? Are we going to lose ticket sales? You know, you know, again, they, the theater has to do what it has to do to stay afloat. I think if they have exposure to what it could look like and see the support that can be rallied behind it, maybe it, this can warm them up to the idea of casting in a body positive way. You know, when they see just how gorgeous we look as these characters, when they hear how incredibly talented we are and see how we bring life to the characters, you know, that they'll see that, that our weight really doesn't influence our ability to tell the story well, you know? So like, I mean, yeah, like I have extra body fat, but does not change the fact that I can sing crap out of the character and bring truth to that character? Mm -hmm. What I love about theater is that you really have to use your imagination more strongly and you, you more intensely give into suspension of disbelief. Mm-hmm. And so I think if there's any place where this can be accepted, it would be here. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Well, it sounds like such a great project and people can support this project. Can you tell us how they can lend a hand to you? Yeah. So we need your money. <laughs> well, I was, I was trying to, I was trying to be cooler about it, but yeah. So how can we send you our money? <laughs> Give me that money, guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, well, our campaign is on Indiegogo, but if you just go to Instagram at, and type in the the handle Broadway Bopo, B-O-P-O, that's a short for body positivity, our link is in the bio. If you go to Facebook.com slash Broadway Bopo, you'll, find, you'll see a million posts about the campaign, and it'll take you right there. Or you can just go to Indiegogo and type in Broadway Body Positivity Project. But I would just say go just go to Instagram or Facebook slash Broadway Bopo and click on the link and give us your money. And we got good prizes too. You can get a dinner with a Broadway actress. That's like the most expensive prize though. <laughs> um, but yeah, we have two uh, we have two Broadway actresses who you can have dinner with. One is LaVon Fisher Wilson. She's also part of the pro- of the photo shoot. And then there's also Alexandra Silber, who she's a star of West End and Broadway. And then other prizes include um, you can get you can get a, an online coaching with Levon Fisher Wilson, who has four Broadway credits. You can also get for high school students. We have online audition coaching with me or one of the other actresses in our project. We're both really good at like college audition coaching. One other prize we have is like <laughs> like personalized poetry written by me. And uh, yeah, we also have someone offering online burlesque lessons. We have someone offering social media consultations. Like we have some good stuff there. So awesome. you'll get something out of it if you contribute. <laughs> well, that sounds great. So everybody, 
go to Facebook or go to Instagram and check it out and get some cool stuff while you're helping this great cause. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for explaining your project to us and keep us posted. We'd love to know how all this turns out. We'll be right back with Beyond the Boards. Thanks so much, Stephanie. It was a great conversation, and I look forward to seeing what Broadway Body Positivity Project has in store for us. So we're going to move on to our picks for Beyond the Boards. And Erin, I'm going to let you start. Why, thank you. It's going to be a wonderful week, uh, the first week of November here in St. Louis. Uh, two big things happening. We got Muni Magic which is the Muni Theater's yearly off-season kind of cabaret night, this year being hosted by Michaela Bennett and Jason Gautet. Michaela was Cinderella in last season's production and uh, amazing, loved it. And Jason has been in and out of the Muni many, many years and done many, many amazing productions there. So it'll be awesome for them to lead the wonderful night of magic and music and of course that means the season announcement will happen so keep your eyes open on november 5th and 6th and we will get to see what the summer will bring to forest park here in st louis november 10th mandy patinkin will bring his cabaret uh broadway dreams to umzel true hill performing arts center for tickets you can go to tickets.truehill.com Awesome. Well, I have a few to uh, share with you, too. So there was a really cool book that came out a while back called A is for Audra. And it was written by John Robert Allman. And basically, it's a children's book that talks about the divas of Broadway. It's an illustrated book. And it's great for young kids. Well, The 92nd Street Y is doing a musical adaptation of this book, and that's going to be on November 17th. And the book itself is really cool. It features actors such as Audra McDonald, Kristen Chenoweth, Patti LuPone, Bernadette Peters, and Liza Minnelli. A is for Audra is adapted and directed by Megan Doyle and Jeffrey Sanzel. Sanzel has written the book with music, and the lyrics are by Kevin Story. Doyle serves as a choreographer. There will be two performances of the show on November 17th, one at 10 a.m. and another at 1 p.m. The running time is about 30 minutes, and the show is appropriate for ages 3 to 12. Also, the program is going to be followed by a book signing and conversation with Mr. Allman. So if you're interested in tickets for that, you can go to 92y.org. Now, this one I'm super excited about. Unfortunately, I can't go because it's on my anniversary. Um, (laughs) Priorities. But one of my favorite actors in the world and also someone who has become a friend over the years, Kevin Chamberlain, is going to be featured in the cast of the Master Voices series production of Let Them Eat Cake. 
So this show is going to be the opening of the series for its 2019-20 season. And this is going to take place on November 21st at Carnegie Hall with a concert version of the show. Let Them Eat Cake is a musical take on a presidential re-election gone haywire. The show is the 1933 sequel to Of The I Sing, written by the Gershwins, and it revisits the story of U.S. President John P. Wintergreen, who is voted out of office and stages a coup in an effort to regain his power. It's a little close to home, doesn't it? That's all I'm saying. It's a little (laughs) close to home. Um, (laughs) Speaking of Michaela Bennett, she is also part of this cast, as well as Bryce Pinkham, and Christopher Fitzgerald, Fred Applegate, Chuck Cooper, and Louis J. Stadlin. Artistic director Ted Sperling will conduct the Orchestra of St. Luke's. Tickets can be purchased at carnegiehall.org. So this sounds like it's going to be a good one, guys. Definitely get tickets for that one. So that's this episode of It's a Theater Thing. Thanks so much for joining us. We can always be found on the Onstage Blog Network on onstageblog.com iTunes, and Spotify. If you'd like to communicate with us, you can email us at theaterthing at gmail.com. And you can also find us on the It's a Theater Thing Facebook page. Also, our Twitter handle is at Theater Thing. So we look forward to visiting with you again. Thanks a lot, Erin. Thank you. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.